This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy, Ken Campbell. This is the Hockey News Podcast and live stream brought to you by Christian Hockey. And we're going to get talking about hockey, hockey, but right now... The nature, yeah, hockey, hockey, but the nature of the game, what's happening in the game, the news cycle, as I told some people who are upset on Twitter, we're the hockey news, not the hockey. And there's a lot going on in the hockey world right now, and it's going to be a topic at the Board of Governors meeting, so I want to start with that today, guys. Uh, We know that one of the issues that's going to be tabled is hockey culture. We know that Bill Daly, the NHL in general, have met with Akeem Alou and also the Coaches Association, and there's been discussion about a code of conduct being established. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, the idea, it sounds like it's going to be something standardized in which, com- you know, complaints or issues, incidents, whether it's racism, homophobia, anything that's against inclusion, abusive behavior will be handled or regulated by the league itself. Right. So I guess let's start by, do we think that this is a good idea? And do we think this is something that is actually going to bring about change? And the reason why I ask, the reason why I think this, it's still something worth discussing is if if the NHL handles these issues, are teams going to be willing to always self-report them? Or is the league going to have to appoint someone to investigate or sort of monitor all teams? There are a lot of questions. So yeah. let's start to unpack it and uh, let me know what you think. Well, I can't, I can't imagine that a code of conduct would be something people wouldn't want, a, a bad thing per se. Um, I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think I think that's I think the sort of the fly in the ointment you mentioned it is is how do you how do you police it right? Um, but I think any effort that the league makes to 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 um, to make it not Vegas, you know what's you know what happens in the room stays in the room. What happens within the organization stays in the organization. I think because these things fester in the dark. They fester in the dark. They they grow. They they live. They they get all of their life from being in the dark, right? So, I think what the league is trying to do is 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 we want to shine a light on it. We want to bring it out into the light. And so by by making the league sort of the arbiter of of all these things, that does bring it more into the light. I, I mean, there are going to be I I mean there are going to be problems with it, no question. I mm-hmm. think, but but I think I think it's a step in the right direction. My my question would be, and and it's obviously a good step, but who will be the arbiters of punishment? Because you know you you have some progressive voices in the NHL, but you also got a lot of old schoolers, a lot of guys that went through those same dressing rooms for years and years, and might not have seen any problem with a coach kicking you in the back. Or still deny concussions Or deny concussions So I I think what's really important is who's actually meeting out any punishment that would come with a racial slur in the dressing room or a homophobic remark or slapping a player in the back of the head. Because if it's not the right people, then I think it's pretty toothless. And then you get the problem of the NHL saying, oh, well, we're doing something about this, but they're not actually changing the culture. They're just sort of papering over it. And that would be very unfortunate because I think there's an appetite out there for change. Now we need to see 
what the actual structure will be. Show some faith, Ryan. Show some faith. Look what they've done with player safety. Oh, wait. Oh. <laughs> okay, forget it. For but I, <laughs> I, I, I think you make a good point when you say papering over, and the term that I've heard used to criticize certain initiatives that are supposed to be progressive is box ticking. And, you know, we've all done a lot of stories on it recently on just, you know, whether it's Bill Peters or Akima Lou, all the different things that have happened, Don Cherry. And in a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, within the last couple of weeks, I've talked a lot with Daniel Carcillo and also with Brock McGillis. And I think those are two guys that represent uh, sort of counterculture in hockey for different reasons, right? Uh, Daniel Carcillo is sort of a conduit for people who are abuse victims. And Brock McGillis, of course, the only uh, pro player who's out as gay. And he deals a lot with homophobia and, and he's trying to tackle those issues. And both guys were very critical of the Hockey is for Everyone campaign because they say that it is box ticking, classic box ticking. It's, hey, look, we have a pride night. And as Brock said, he said, we have a pride night, but there, if there are gay people out there, they go to the pride night. That's all they go to. And you have pride tape. It's it's a box ticking. It's like, hey, look, we're doing something. We're doing something. So I think the question for me is, is this code of conduct going to be a, a box ticking? Mm. Is it, oh, no, look, we yeah. have this code of conduct and no one's going to yeah. use it? Yeah. Or is it going to be something that actually has teeth? Mm. And I think the way we're going to find out is whether it's going to be a, an established disciplinary system. Will we find out? You're fined this amount for using a type of slur, or you're suspended, et cetera, et cetera, right? How do, and how do they deal with how do they deal with with retroactive stuff? Like how, how yeah. do they do that? I mean, I, I heard someone uh, on something say there should be amnesty until a certain point, mm. right? And then you know from now on, you know we all know the rules, so now on, um, you know it's dealt with more severely, but you shouldn't be, you know, held culpable for something you said ten or twelve years ago. I, mm. I I'm not sure where I fall on that one, mm-hmm. but. With respect to the box ticking, Matt, like, I mean, it starts with box ticking. Yes, exactly. Right? It and that's the counter ticking. argument I've heard. I mean, I mean, you got to start if, somewhere. If there is no hockey is for everyone, mm-hmm. then you're not anywhere, right? So, yep. and and I personally think that when Don Cherry got fired, I think the league had a big say in it, and I think there were a lot of people saying, "Hey, wait a minute, you've got this hockey is for everyone." And you got this guy as one of your uh, one of your voices mm. saying these things. Hockey clearly isn't for everyone. So if they didn't have hockey, it's for everyone. You, you wouldn't have any basis. So you you have to start with ticking yeah. the boxes, don't you? I or? think it's a fair. It's an absolutely a fair point. And you know, in doing some of these stories, I've heard that is the counter argument. Uh, that you know, if you look at. The, what the league has done, for example, for Black History Month, when they're they're touring around the country, they're having these discussion panels, and that's something they weren't doing just a couple years ago. So it is a sign that they're they're getting started. So that that right. is the current argument. You have to start right. somewhere. Right. Right. It's just a matter of how far will it go. Yeah, you got to yeah. keep it going from there. Yeah. So we'll see. It's it's very early in the process, but I mean, to me, if it becomes like this declaration of principles they had a couple of years ago. Well, then it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. Like, I, I still don't even know what the heck that's all about. Yeah, I forgot about and, the Declaration and they don't of even, they, Yeah, because they had this Declaration of Principles, and they didn't do anything with it. It was just mm-hmm. like, this is what we stand for. Well, you know what? I stand for all that stuff, too. But, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything if you don't put it into action. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, before we move on to our next topic, Stephen is standing up. Our producer, Stephen, he looks like he wants to do something. Like, I thought he was about to make a speech. Huh. That's it? All that build-up, he was, he was looming over Ken. like he, he was standing like this, like as if something big was about to happen, and all he did was move the microphone. Nice. Disappointing, okay. Stephen. I expected more. <laughs> Just a reminder, we're going to be taking live questions later on in the podcast, so firing them over, fire them over anytime you want. Uh, let's talk a little hockey now. Uh, and if you want to call what the Detroit Red Wings are doing hockey, <laughs> it's something on ice that involves skates, and I guess it's hockey, but it's debatable. Goals are scored. Uh, goals are scored. The Not Red Wings, lots of them. Yeah. Lots of them. Uh, their record is 721 
and three. They've lost 11 games in a row. Mm-hmm. The goal differential is minus 58. Their points percentage is 274. And that would be the worst since the 97-98 Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, and it's the worst easily of the salary cap era. The Avs were 293-16-17. So do we think this trend is going to continue? Is this Red Wings team the worst team of the salary cap era? The worst team of the century? How far back do we want to go? Worst team the past 25 years? Worst team since the maybe original or when the Ottawa Senators returned as an expansion franchise in the early 90s? They might be. They might Especially yeah, considering like they've lost all... 11 in a row, so they're trending downward. Well, they're and, worse. And, and, it, and a lot of this is skewed by the fact that didn't they go like 3-1? and one? Yeah, they had a good start. Yeah, they yeah weren't they like 3-1 and one out of the gate? Yeah. So imagine, yeah, if they they had, imagine if they had been 1-3. and three. I mean, we'd be talking about historically mm-hmm. low here. Yeah. Um yeah, they're bad. They're real bad. Um and it's and it's too bad in my opinion. Well, it's not too bad. It's too bad in one respect in that Jeff Blaschel's probably going to lose his job at some point and this guy's a good coach. This guy's a really good coach, I think. Um he's a and he's a good man. He's a good man. Good, good coach, man. Good, good, good man, player. Good, good player. Good goes to church. Good man. Um, coaching tree has just been gangbusters. <laughs> but I I think he's a really good coach. Um but you know what? I mean, in 16-17, the Colorado Avalanche were four, had 48 points, and they were minus 112. Detroit's on pace for 45 points and minus 153. Hmm. So, to me, yes, they are one of the worst teams, and that's a great thing. That's, yeah. almost, that's a that's, great yes. thing. That's almost losing by multiple goals every game. It's almost right. Yeah. Wow. Game. yeah. But that's but that's that's great. That's yes. that's fantastic because. Um, because look look what happened to Colorado. Yeah. Right? They even lost the lottery that year. They fell to fourth and they picked Kale McCarr. McCarr. Kale McCarr with the fourth pick. Um but that but I see a lot of similarities there. Um you know, I mean Colorado had a team that had some good young players, some good prospects on the way, and the pain was you know, you, you had to go through that pain. I'm yeah. seeing a lot of the same things in Detroit right now. Mm-hmm. I think I think if they hang in there um, this is something that a you're paying for all those years of success. Finally, it's coming to roost mm. big time. And b you've been spoiled, and you gotta th- you gotta change your mindset if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan. You've got to think more. You got to be more patient. Yeah, start going to more Grand Rapids Griffins games. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, but the good thing about the Red Wings right now is that they are calling kids up, mm-hmm. and you know you will get to see Philip Zadina. Right. Get another crack at the NHL roster right now. And, you know, Joe Valeno was lent out to the World Juniors for Canada, so he will take a prominent role with the Canadians. I mean, he'll almost definitely wear a letter. He might even be the captain. You might get Alexi Lafreniere with the first pick overall, and that would be a tremendous selection for Detroit because they went with a defenseman last year and got a really nice piece in Moritz Sider, who will also be at the World Juniors. You have a uh, number one center in Dylan Larkin. Larkin, right shout now. out Larkin family. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but Lafreniere is the kind of guy that can really be a difference maker. And there's a, there's a really nice cohort at the top of the draft right now with Quentin Byfield as well and Alex Holtz and Lucas Raymond. Be Quentin Byfield's going to be better. That's your, your Sudbury showing. But <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate the, the dialogue. Point. Yeah. Um, you know, there are options in net for the future with Philip Larson, so there's there's possibility there. But Lafreniere is the kind of guy that he wants to make a difference out there, and he can make a difference, and he can play for your team 
next year. So I think with Red Wings fans, because they're pretty knowledgeable as a group, they understand the pain. Right. And I think that will sort of help them get through this tough patch. As for the rest of the team, I, I don't think that Jeff Blashill would have lasted through the rebuild anyway. I don't think he's the kind of coach that takes you to the next level. I think he's the kind of coach right now that's fine where you need to do a lot of teaching and you're you're nurturing players. I don't necessarily think he's the guy that can take you on a run. Hmm. So he's Roger Nielsen. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I I, I do think that Detroit's on the right path. They've got a lot of good young players. And... Just because it's fun to talk about bad teams, the 2014-15 Buffalo Sabres had a minus 113 goal differential. Tyler Ennis led them in f- with 46 points. And the stat that I really enjoy is that the entire coaching staff for that year, led by Ted Nolan, none of them ever got another coaching job in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Don't sleep on Ted Nolan. He might come back someday. He might. <laughs> but since then... <laughs> yeah. They've gotten other jobs in hockey, of yeah, course, yeah. but none of them have been behind an NHL bench since then. See, the best thing about this whole thing is that Steve Eiserman has a has has such a massive honeymoon period here. Oh right? yeah, yes, right, and and, and they got the that, new that, rink. And yeah, the be, the best thing was was hiring Steve Eiserman. One because he's one of the best GMs and one of the most progressive and 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 keen minds in the game, but also because they just they he they just bought themselves three years. Yeah, but I think. What people in Detroit have to realize is real rebuilds, they're painful, man. They yeah. are painful. And they're not just three or five years. Sometimes they take eight to they ten. Yeah. Totally. You know what I mean? And 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 it may take that long for this thing to to really be turned around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, I think that Eisman's sort of putting on a clinic because he just manipulated his chess pieces so brilliantly to start the season by burying all the kids in the minors. And it was sort of like mm-hmm. he was keeping so much talent off the roster to sort of guarantee an early season tank, in my mind, to the point that I remember with, in our season preview podcast saying that, you know, I think we all agreed that the Red Wings were maybe the, the least talented team on paper in the entire league. And if you're the Minnesota Wild, take notice, man. This I think the Wild, they're on a nice little run. What was it, 8-0-3 in their past 11? They're hot. That's horrible news. If I'm a Wild fan, I'm like, no, 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 no! <laughs> because that's you're, you're going right back to the murky middle. You don't have enough prospects in your system. You need high picks. Detroit is doing it right, and I think what Minnesota, what's happening in Minnesota now is a disaster, an absolute disaster. You need that team to go off the cliff, to bottom out, and I think the Red Wings are, are sort of sh- showing us the proper playbook to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take some live questions later, but we have one that just came in that's actually about the Red Wings, so let's just tackle it right now. Okay, yeah. This is from Scott Cameron, uh, the inventor of the putter. Is it, is, is it Scott Cameron of the Scotty Cameron putter for golf fans out there? I don't know. Probably not. I, I'm going to say I'm no. going to guess no, yeah. <laughs> but you never know. Maybe Scotty Cameron likes uh, hockey. If he's alive, I don't know if he's alive. Uh, could Jimmy Howard be traded to a contender? You would think he would make a solid backup for a team looking to make a run. I think backup is the right word. I think Jimmy Howard at this point, he obviously last year had a really good year. He has flashes, uh, but he's a small goaltender, and I, I don't think he's built to be a long-term starter anymore in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he gets cold, he gets really cold. But I, I think to me, if, if Howard were to be traded, he's the kind of guy you don't acquire for the playoffs you acquire now because we're in the format now where teams like to rest their Mm. starters they want to play the hybrid they want their starter to play more in the 50 game range 55 game range so you could actually spell your starter with a jimmy howard 
right now instead. And that would actually help prepare your starter, rest him for the playoffs. Only thing is, are you going to want to take on Jimmy Zeller's Jimmy salary cap hit? Yeah. Detroit would probably issue. have to eat some salary there. Yeah, they which, would have to. Fair enough. They could, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think he could be traded to a contender, but I think we have to make it clear it would be as, a, as purely a backup. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, oh, for I sure. Mean, and, 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 I mean, you don't – he may not even play a playoff game. And you're yeah. right. I mean, you want him now to – to be the guy that that is your your solid sort of insurance policy backup kind of guy, yeah. Uh, because he's not seeing any games after April eighth. If if you're a contending team and things go go well for you, mm-hmm. yeah, he's your Ryan Miller right now. Like Ryan Miller's doing a great job in Anaheim, spelling John Gibson, mm-hmm. and I think that's. I mean, Anaheim's kind of in a different spot where. They're not going to be contending for anything, but at least John Gibson's not getting brutally overworked. Right. And, and at least Howard, he's got the experience that if your starter did get hurt in a crucial moment, he he's capable of stepping in and playing. And going on a run. Yeah, going yeah, on a run yeah, for five yeah. or ten games, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. just based on that experience level. Uh, let's talk about the Arizona Coyotes. And you know, I feel like we've talked about them a lot over the past couple of years, just debating whether they're finally going to have their moment, if they're finally over that hump after amassing so many high-end picks and John Chagan making a lot of moves summer after summer. And here we are. We're in early December, and they're tied for first place in the Pacific Division. So I want to know from you guys, has John Chaka finally done it? Has he finally got the chemistry right? And is this the year that the Coyotes get into the playoffs and become a legitimate contending team? Well, you know, I just blogged about this last week that the Arizona Coyotes, when you look at their numbers, the offense doesn't jump out on the page. The possession numbers don't jump out. But they're getting great goaltending. They're playing great team defense. They're kind of reminding me of the New York Islanders. They also have a coach that got buy-in from the team. He had Barry Trotz with the Islanders, still getting great buy-in in New York. You got Rick Tockett in Arizona, who's clearly got his team on his side. He's got everybody pushing in the right direction. The players seem to love Rick Tockett. Players love they love him because they know he's done it. They know he's yeah. been through the battles, and they know that whatever he asks of them, he would do himself if he was still playing. And I think that's pretty key. And so, you know, it, this has not been the year of Phil Kessel, you know, dominating the score sheet, but Phil Kessel's been a contributor. Nick Schmaltz has been really good for them. He actually leads them in scoring. But you look at the goaltending they're getting from Darcy Kemper and then Antti Ranta as his backup, it's very similar to the battery they have on Long Island where you had Thomas Grice and Robin Lehner last year, and A of Thomas Grice and Semyon Varlamov, they just feel like, I, I've been calling them the Desert Islanders. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's the same deal where last year we said, okay, well, is New York going to fall off? Like, they, they don't score that much. The analytics aren't great. But if you get great goaltending and you're not giving up a lot of chances necessarily, you can make it work, and it's not a mirage. I mean, we saw that with the Islanders. They swept the Penguins. It was not a matter of them lucking into the playoffs they earned it full stop and i think that's what we're seeing with the coyotes right now is it's not a fluke that they're winning games another desert pun mirage nice there you go nice also uh, oasis sucks no that's not a pun that's just a commentary i um <laughs> bless you it's uh, live now you know <laughs> i uh, i think that i mean i think i mean i mean i think the arizona coyotes are going to make the playoffs and they're going to be definitely a top three team in their division not sure how far they're going to go beyond that because um, the Pacific Division quite frankly isn't very good True. it's it's not very it's the it's the it's the weakest 
It's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's probably the weakest in the NHL. So, I mean, they have that going for them. But, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is they've got some momentum. And I think there's a couple of interesting things here. I, I was seeing something where where there's, you know, Taylor Hall, the, t- the talks about Taylor Hall maybe going there as a rental. Yeah. Like, hallelujah, man. <laughs> we finally turned this thing around. Right. Now we're not giving away all our players. We're yeah. actually being a buyer at the trade deadline, yeah. which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it starts, I think, personally, I think success in the NHL or lack thereof always, always without fail, starts at the top. And when I mean the top, I mean ownership. Yep. And for good or for bad, I think ownership usurps anything else. You can be in a bad market and have strong ownership, and you can be a good team. You can be in a great market, have lousy ownership, and you're a lousy team. So I think it starts a lot with ownership. They have new ownership. It's solidified. It's secure. They're a cap. They're almost a cap team now. They're like Two million bucks off the cap or something? Like, they're very close. They're, they're almost a cap team. You know, the fact that they were a cap team allowed them to go out and get Phil Kessel this summer um, at his ticket. And, I mean, you know, there are guys that are, you know, I mean, Nick Schmaltz is starting to to even out that trade from last year as well. Like, Dylan Strong goes on this wicked run and Schmaltz gets hurt. And then you're thinking, oh, boy, that's hmm. not so good. Mm-hmm. But he's 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 pulled it together. Um, they're getting, they're get, they, they seem opportunistic to me. Yeah. They seem really opportunistic. Well, that's that's an understatement based on some numbers I, I wrote down. I, I don't want to rain on the parade too much, but I'm still – I'm cautious. I'm, I, I think that they're a competitive team, uh, mm-hmm. but this team is 29th in possession. No team in the league generates fewer scoring chances at 5-on-5 five five than the Arizona Coyotes. Um, so this team is very offensively deficient. They, they don't have anything close to a point-per-game score. They do have 11 players with at least five goals. So that's great. That's scoring distribution. Uh, and we talked about this, Ryan. I, I think you wrote about this as well. They, they're not allowing too many high-danger chances. Right. So I think they're, like, they've allowed the seventh-fewest high-danger, so at least they're limiting the shot quality. Goaltending, they have the best save percentage in the league at 5-on-5. Five five. And Darcy Kemper overall, 935. Ranton, 926. So I think that it's partially sustainable in the way that the Islanders showed us last year. Great goaltending will cancel out bad possession over and over. And every year, there's always a team that has that overcomes bad possession to make the playoffs, and it's always a team that has amazing goaltending. That's that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that they're going to hang in there and be competitive because that tandem is, is just going so well, and I think the sample size is big enough with Kemper and Ranta that we can expect them to continue to play at that level, especially when no matter who's in net, you have a really strong goalie right now. But the lack of offense, I, I still think, is going to catch up to the Coyotes. So to me, maybe this is a playoff team, team because the Pacific is weak, but it's right. like it's a team that's going to squeak in as the number three team and get to get in not not as a crossover, but getting in as the third team on the Pacific side. Yeah, you so, know, but but if you're if you're like that, you don't want to be the crossover. Yeah, exactly. Team. True. Look what happened to Calgary last year as yeah. a crossover team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to win that division because sure. then you're playing you're playing a central team probably. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. So, I, I, but I think we're seeing something real happen, but I. I think the offense still isn't there yet, so a trade for Taylor Hall would be a wonderful addition because you just right. inject a little more oomph into that, that offense. Then you have maybe a Hall-McDavid playoff series. Ooh. Oh. And then, and two, I mean, I, I think the thing we haven't even spoken about yet is, I mean, are, is Ve- are Vegas and Calgary going to be this doing this for the rest of the season? I think they're going to be okay. Maybe. Well, I, think both I don't know. Maybe okay. they will. Maybe they will be the, mm-hmm. the wild card teams or maybe out. But yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you suggested before the season that a third of the way in Edmonton and Arizona were going to be fighting for first place in the Pacific, then 
you uh, you go hats to the, off. Yeah, you the upside the down, front of the, front of the class, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree all the way. Uh, switching over to the team that has Taylor Hall, since we are already touching on him a little bit, uh, the New Jersey Devils. Since our last podcast, they fired John Hines as head coach. L.A. Nazardin is in right now as the interim coach. Remains to be seen if that's a long-term solution, but there's been no indication that it definitely is. It's more likely that the Devils eventually go into the market to find a new coach. So let's discuss long-term replacements. I'll nominate the first one. I think it's a pretty obvious pick, but to go Dan Bilesma, because if you look at Bilesma, who Ray Shiro brought in originally in Pittsburgh, uh, and Bilesma did get fired, but not by Shiro. Shiro was axed in May of 2014, and it was Jim Rutherford who fired who fired Dan Bilesma. So, so Bilesma remained Shiro's guy through the end of his time in Pittsburgh. So in my mind, that means that relationship is, as far as I know, is not severed. Mm-hmm. So I think, and, and we, we've seen Bosma, he's shown the ability before to take over a team that had a mixture of veterans, but also some you know, blue chip young players. And obviously Pittsburgh was much further along when Bosma took over. They'd been to the final year before, so we can't expect him to work a miracle. But mm-hmm. I still think that there's a fit based on his experience level and the comfort with the GM. So he, he would be my, my pick if I had to predict who the next Devils long-term head coach would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's credible. Uh-huh. I, uh, I I think. I mean, I mean, they're not any better. Obviously, now they're what our own three or they one game. They're, and they're, still, bleed, yeah, they're bleeding yeah. goals still and all that. Um, I think this team is a team that screams out for structure at the moment. And if I were Ray Shiro, I would wait until the end of the year, and I would wait until Scott Sandlin wins his third straight NCAA mm. championship with the University of Minnesota Duluth and I would hire him mm-hmm. because this this guy um, structures everything with this team right they've True. won they've won because they've been so well structured like you look at their teams and you just see a bunch of guys that are good but mm-hmm. like they don't have any Hobie Baker winners or anything like that no huge stars and yet they every year they win and uh, I, I, I think he'd be a great choice yeah no I like that I think Scott Sandlin has definitely put himself in that category and if he wins a gold medal at the World Juniors that's another little feather in his there cap only Jack Hughes would be there with him right? yeah. yeah yeah if only but sp- <laughs> speaking of Jack Hughes somebody that coached him not too long ago John Robleski uh. with the NTDP mm-hmm. This is somebody who has a lot of coaching experience, and actually John Hines had been at the NTDP at one point. That's what I'd be afraid of, though, if I'm New Jersey. Well, you go back to same. that well. And, yeah, they're yeah. not the same guy, because no, John Hines no. came out of the AHL right. when they hired him. Right. Um, but I hear you. Oh, yeah. But I still think that if you're looking for a different option, a, a young sort of up-and-coming coach, Robleski has shown that he can manage... Not only young talent, but he can ju- he can manage a lot of different personalities at the same time. Like if you look at that NTDP squad from last season, they had so many good players. Like Johnny Beecher was essentially a fourth liner and also an NHL first rounder. Right. At the same right. time. Right. right. He and and it's about buy-in. Like Johnny Beecher had to accept that for that particular season, a crucial one, you know, for his and it, his career, being his draft year, he had to fit into a certain role. And he embraced that at the NTDP and was successful. And, you know, now we see him at Michigan, and he's a Boston Bruins pick. He's looking very good. Obviously, you got Hughes, Alex Turcott, uh, Trevor Zegris, Cam York, Cole Caulfield. Like, the list goes on and on. Almost the entire team got drafted. And you think about 
making sure that all those kids got enough ice time. Mm -hmm. Now you look at New Jersey and you say, okay, you've got a lot of different personalities. You have a lot of people at different stages of their career. You know, you think about P.K. Subban struggling. You think of Nikita Gusev coming over for his first NHL season and it being very up and down. You have Jack Hughes finding his way. I think, you know, you already have a, a young guy in Nazardin that you have right now. So maybe maybe you just go with him mm-hmm. because he knows your system and, and, and whatnot. But if you're looking for another up-and-comer who I think would bring a lot of value, Roblowski would be a good pick. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting picks, yeah. Uh, just a reminder, still time to get some live questions in. Before we get to those questions, though, uh, let's talk Nathan McKinnon. And he's been making headlines just with his play, of course, just dominating, some would say, the leading candidate for the MVP. He's, mm-hmm. right, he's at least right there. Uh, but he made some interesting comments in an interview last week in which he said he has no regrets for his current contract, which people, a lot of people acknowledge is the best value deal in the league right now, which was seven years at $6.3 million. He has no regrets about signing it because he wasn't playing as well when he did sign it. Um, now he's a huge bargain. And he also said in the same piece uh, that he plans to take less, to take a discount when he's up as a UFA. Doesn't come as a huge surprise considering, you know, the Cole Harbor connection, his good buddy Sidney Crosby. That's what Crosby is famous for doing with the 8.7 million cap hit when he could have made a lot more than that. Uh, so I, I get where where McKinnon's coming from. So I guess if we accept that he really means it, which I feel like he does. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do we think that is that what it takes to win now? Do you think that, especially, you know, the, the contract game is changing where the younger guys on the team are getting big deals because they're signing for, for fewer years? Like the Leafs are the, are the example of almost like how not to do it right now. Mm. Uh, so, because of that, because of the change in the, in the structure of mm-hmm. a lot of deals right now, do you need to do that to win? Do you need to take less money? Well, I'll, t- I'll give you an example of, of, of the guy who might actually even be a bigger bargain. And that's Brad Marchand in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, last year at the Stanley Cup Final, he said, look, our attitude around here, our philosophy around here is if you want to make a ton of money, you fill your boots and go somewhere else. But if you want to win and you want to be part of a winning culture, you're going to have to take less, which is why Zidane Chara doesn't take much, which is why Brad Marchand's underpaid, which is why David Pasternak's underpaid, which is why Patrice Bergeron's underpaid. Mm. I mean, and, and which is why Charlie McAvoy didn't, like... We were all thinking he was gonna. They were gonna be back backing a Brinks truck up to his house, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely, you have to do that. Look at what Tampa did with Braden Point. You know, uh, um, Patrice uh, or not Patrice Breeze Julian, Julian Breeze Julian Breezebois came out basically this summer and said, "I don't care what other teams are doing with their under, with their restricted free agents. I don't care." I'm on a budget here, and this is what I can afford to give. And if the kid wants to play in a winning atmosphere with a good team, he's going to take that. And lo and behold, he took it. Mm -hmm. You guys are right. The only thing for me is that it shouldn't be up to the players to take these discounts. Like, it should be on the GMs to make smarter fiscal decisions overall. And if I was a player... I would I would maybe have a bit of a problem with this. Right. If I was an if I'm Pat Brisson right now, I'm saying to Nathan McKinnon like maybe don't talk about the discount too much. That was my next question. Yeah, yeah. Are other players like Shh, no, stop. yeah, yeah, no, Nathan, because please. you don't want to be suppressing your own value when you only yeah. have. So I mean, I know we're talking about tens yeah. of millions of dollars, so it's kind of it's kind of silly. It's silly money, right? Like for people like us. It's silly money that we're never going to see in our lives. But for these guys that are only able to work for essentially 15 years and then their their earning days are over, right? 
I don't think you want to be sacrificing too much because your GM accidentally signed what turned out to be a sixth defenseman to a $7 million deal in right. the summer. Right. Not that Colorado has done that, but as an example. So mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful with these things. And, you know, if McKinnon is saying he would do $10 million a year instead of 13 or whatever he would be worth the next time his contract comes up, based on where the salary cap is, cool. You know, I mean, he's going to get paid. His kids are never going to have to work. Their kids probably won't have to work either, so it's fine. But I think you just have to be careful from sort of a labor perspective of suppressing salaries when that's not your job. But, I mean, the players are getting 50% of the revenues anyway, so it's not going to bring down average salaries. It's, it's, hmm. it, may, it may skew it for the stars. fact of the matter is, is, is the big stars before the salary cap were making tons more money than they are now. Tons mm-hmm. more. Peter Forsberg was an $11 million player 15 years ago. You know what I mean? So to me, like I was talking to an agent about this, and he said that Bob Goodno was talking to him once, and Goodno, who obviously was the NHLPA's executive director uh, prior to the lockout, he said, you know, you guys used to be negotiators. Now you're just allocators, right? They're just mm-hmm. allocating salaries. They're just plugging people into where, they're, where they belong, right? right? Like there's there's not as much negotiating being done. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I mean, I, th- I get the sense Nathan McKinnon – is a is a pretty salt of the earth guy. Like he's yeah. he's pretty genuine. Yeah. So I I really get the sense that you know he probably really doesn't care if he's got an extra few million dollars at the end of his career. I think a he wants to win and he's willing yeah. to you know because in two years Kel McCarr is going to come up you know and that's that's going to be a big one and then mm-hmm. other guys are going to come up so. Um, I, I, I I take him at his word here for sure. I think he's oh, a, yeah. yeah, he's a unique example, and even just like as as interviewers, McKinnon's a guy. Like if you're in the room, you look around, you're like, ah, oh, McKinnon. He'll he'll say something genuine to me. Like like he's always reliable. Yeah. He'll always uh-huh. yeah. he'll always give you the time. He'll speak his mind. He's I think he is a genuine guy. But I think you do raise raise good points, Ryan. And it's it's funny to me. This is a decades old thing of public perception where like the average public, the average fan, it's the athlete that's always considered the greedy one, the millionaire, not the billionaire, not the the ownership. Right. Team. Yeah. Right. I never understood that. And, and that's and that's the why case. the owners always win the public relations yes. war. Always, always, always. Yeah. Because people out there think that they would play for $100,000 a year if they could play in the NHL mm-hmm. when really it's not the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right? It's, it's it's interesting. It's always yeah. Yeah, it you're comes right. up again and again. That's why and you see like the language being used on social media, what a good guy, what you know, he's not greedy like like imp- as implying like the others. Right. Yeah. But it's yeah. weird. It's just like doesn't anyone in any career in their job just want to get proper value for what they're doing? What sure. for their for Sure. Their, and it's it's always weird to me that no matter what you do in life People say, oh, they shouldn't make so much money. It's like, why don't you want other people to have money? They're not saying that, like, you shouldn't have money. <laughs> so, like, why are you worried? You know, people are like, oh, teachers make too much money. It's like, why shouldn't teachers yeah, make a lot teacher. of money? Oh, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's odd to me that people would say it's that. It's funny, too. I mean, I mean, the best player in the world took a hometown discount. Yeah. I mean, the best player in the world could have asked for the max cap hit, and he didn't. And so how how can you, if you're somebody else, say I'm worth a greater percentage of the cap than... And that's, and that's where it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the old Gordy Howe trick. Exactly. With the Red exactly. Wings, where it's like, well, yeah. Gordy Howe's I just want to play hockey. I just want to yeah. play hockey. Yeah. You yeah. think you're worth more than Gordy Howe? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It brings the market down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go to some live questions now, okay? The first one is from Liney057. 
Uh, are the news around Vitaly Kravtsov concerning for the Rangers and what can be expected from him in terms of his development in the future? Uh, so, yes, he's he's headed back to Russia, I believe, now in the VHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that the Rangers, and I, I did a big story on their development system last year and talked to their 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 head, head scout, Gordy Clark, and they love Kravtsov. They think he's going to be a leader. They think he's going to be able to do sort of a little bit of everything on the ice, play physical, but also score and be sort of a salt-of-the-earth guy in the room. They love him. They love him as like in terms of his character as well. Mm. Uh, the one thing, and Ryan, you probably understand this better than I do, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that, for example, Christian Veselainen had the out clause where for just for one year he was eligible to return at, to, to, to Jokerit, I believe it was, right? Was in the cage, or where, where did he go? In the, he, in the cage, though, yes. right? And it, it was just for last year. This year he had to come back. So right. I believe that, it, and I did reach out to someone close to the situation a few weeks ago, and I was told that he did have the out clause for this mm. year course it was before he exercised it which he did but i believe he doesn't have it for next year as far as i know it's something again we're live so i don't know it off the top of my head but i'm 80 percent sure i can check it after and and that would mean that we're likely to see kravtsov come back next season and, and sort of continue his normal development that would yeah. be my prediction but i'm not 100 sure well and i think he kind of has to come back next season because you want him on north american ice and you know, for this year, it was good for him to get a taste and sort of see, like, okay, it's a very different culture. It's a different rink size. I'm going to have to get used to that. So he got a taste. Now he's got the little preview. He goes back home. What's troubling to me is that part of him going back was so that he could have a prominent role with Tractor in the KHL. And if they're sending him down, I mean, this is yeah. a team that was not scoring. And Kraftsoff was supposed to help that. And... And here's a player who has already scored at the KHL level, particularly in the playoffs with Tractor. So if they're not giving him a fair shake right now and they're sending him down to Helmet, or however you pronounce it. Uh, thank you. Helmet. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of, I'm kind of wondering what's going on on... I was playing for Tractor. I've been demoted to Helmet. Exactly. So I'm a little <laughs> concerned. Like, why is he there? Is it... Is it because you want him to get more ice time? Well, you didn't have a lot of good players with Tractor to begin with, so who's taking up this ice time? Let's see Let's see how this shakes out in the next couple of weeks. But I, I think if you're the Rangers, you want him with Tractor. You don't want him no. yeah. with the farm team. Yeah. yeah. And and you want him with Tractor. You don't want him with the farm team. Why is this firing off um, guns left and right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, I mean, he's a young kid. Yep. He's not an NHL player now, and he probably will be one later. I mean, so so I don't think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of red flags here to worry about. But you kind of do want the kid to stay and stick it out and, and see if he can work through that. So the fact that he wasn't willing to do that, I I think is a something that's a little troubling but yeah. not not it's not a deal breaker it's like yeah. without knowing like who knows what could be going on in the person's personal life right, but right. at least if, if the reason is just like homesick was the reason then it I think it's at least a little bit of a red flag, sure. Yeah. And fair or not, there's always the stigma that, you know, it, I think it's lessened a lot when it comes to Russian prospects, but anytime a Russian prospect goes ho- back home, it, it still plants the seed of, uh, <laughs> Are like, they coming yeah, back? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that it's it's not as bad as it was in, the, you know, the Filatov days, but I still... I think it's still there. Sure. You know? Mm. Uh, next question is from David Burasa. Burasa. I, just, I feel like saying it like Burasa. that. 
and David asked, are the Islanders doing what's best for Noah Dobson's development? Uh, probably do, too good for the CHL, but is practicing with the pros without playing, or is practicing with the pros without playing really better than dominating the league one more year? And I think it's a rhetorical question from David, and it's a fair question. Mm. I, I don't like what the Islanders doing with Dobson at all. Uh, just sort of, he's played, I think, seven games, and he's just sort of being left to rot for extended periods of time. And how can you get your rhythm? How can you get your confidence? I don't care what you're learning in practice about how to be a pro or play the right way, whatever those cliches are. Uh, I personally hate that development yeah. strategy. Yeah. So I, I, I'm sure the Islanders have their reasons for it, but I, yeah, I, I agree that it's a disastrous strategy. Yeah, and this is something that happened with Matt Dumba years ago where Minnesota didn't want to send him back, but they didn't want to burn that nine-game threshold at the same time. They ended up sending him to the World Juniors, and it wasn't a great World Juniors for Canada, and I wonder if part of that was because Dumba was sort of knocked out of his element just kind of hanging around Minnesota and, and not playing too much. But what I would like to see at the same token is for Dobson, if he's not going to be playing for the Islanders, then I think he should go to the World Juniors for Canada where, again, he can take on a leadership role because he was on the team last year. He can log a ton of ice time. He can play good competition. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, if you want to send him to junior, then at least... It's only for half a season. And then what you probably do is his rights get traded to Moncton, which is a very good Quebec League team. Are they hosting? Uh, they are not. Okay, Kelowna well, is hosting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other side of the country. Other side. Yeah. Literally the other side of the country. <laughs> yeah. But Moncton actually was in the running for Dobson um, two years ago. Well, last year when Halifax hosted um, because Moncton had tried to host – they were in the rank for hosting that as well. Um, so they were thinking of trading for Dobson at one point. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. But he has won back-to-back Memorial Cups with right. Acne Bathurst and then Rowan Naranda. Ah, okay. Right. So, I mean, how amazing would it be if he won three, three Memorial Cups with three different that teams? Would, yeah. That would be a first. That would be yeah. unprecedented. That would be right? unprecedented. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. But that, to me, would be if you're not going to keep him, then yeah. that's that's what you do with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not real. I'm not real super jacked about that whole thing either. Um, I, I've always sort of subscribed to the theory that 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 it, you know what players sometimes are 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 turn out to be players regardless, right? Like Joe Thornton had seven points in his first year, and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. And sometimes players are rushed along, and they're okay, and sometimes players are rushed along, and they fall by the wayside. But I've never seen a player, and, and I've said this a million times, I've never seen a player who's been hurt by having his development slowed down and, and playing with his peers for a longer period of time. Um, if I'm the New York Islanders, I mean, this is not... Barry Melrose with Steven Stamkos. This is Barry Trotz yes. with Noah Dobson. Okay. Yeah. So I, I mean I I the coaching that he's getting in that is is quality coaching. Yeah. I mean and and Barry Trotz is the kind of guy that knows how to handle that situation. So I'm not as concerned from that respect. But if I'm if I'm the New York Islanders, I absolutely want Noah Dobson in the in the World Juniors. Because if Noah Dobson plays in the World Juniors, he's going to be a beast. And yep. he's going to you know play why? 30 minutes Do you know why? Game, right? like Do you know why? Do you remember the Do you remember the quarterfinal? The oh, last yeah. play in the quarterfinal last year? He comes down the left side, takes a shot, his stick blows up. 
uh, yeah. odd man rush the other way, and they score. Yeah. This is a guy who's going to want redemption big time. For and, sure. and I mean, this was like, don't get me wrong, anybody, that like none of that was his fault. Oh, of course His not. stick blew up. And yeah. so please, like, don't at me. Is that what they say now? Don't yeah, at me. Yeah. Don't at me. Okay, boomer. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but, but there's a guy who's going to want to go back there and make things right. And he's really going to, like, I see, like, Thomas Shabbat. Type right. of type of like impact impact yeah, on that yeah, tournament yeah. for sure yeah. yeah I like it I like the I like the facial expression you made there like it's like impact, <laughs> impact. <laughs> you sold it you sold it you know uh, we'll, we'll take one more question here this is from Left Janimus who are your top three candidates to get moved at this year's trade deadline mm. okay I'll, I'll start with a guy I've been mentioning I've mentioned this guy a lot but it's still true in my mind that he's a logical candidate to move it's Chris Kreider of the New York Rangers. Candace doing that. Oh, what a surprise! But he has such a playoff skill set. He's he's very fast. He's got he's got great skating for a guy his size. But he plays physical. He's just he's kind kind of guy whose game plays even better in, in the playoffs because he's got skill. But he can also mix it up. He can play a heavy game. And um, we know he's a pending UFA. We know that the Rangers have Brendan Lemieux, Ryan Strom, Tony D'Angelo are all up for new contracts at the end of the season as RFA's. And especially if you look at how Strom has played, suddenly that number is like, oh, I guess we're gonna have to pay him now. <laughs> he keeps playing this way. And the Rangers are not really swimming. In cap space because of course they took on Truba and they they signed Artemi Panarin so it would be pretty difficult to fit Kreider under the cap also Kreider he's not having a great year he's got seven goals last I checked and I've said this before about him he's the type of guy that style of play does not age great so if you were to keep Kreider and sign him to a seven or eight year deal his body might break down by by you know halfway through that deal just because of the way he plays. We've seen it like and the examples I always use are Jamie Ben, Wayne Simmons, David Backus. That type of body it tends to break down quicker than other types of players do. Uh, Milan Lucic as well. The effectiveness just goes off a cliff. So mm-hmm. even though Kreider's still going to be a very effective <clears throat> player for several more years, if he signs a really long term deal with the Rangers, suddenly it could hurt them and he, he becomes an albatross maybe halfway through that deal. Uh, and I think just given his skill set, what he can bring, he could return a first-round pick and maybe another piece. The demand for him would be very, very high. And the cap that he has is pretty reasonable. It's less than $5 million. So it's not like he's a, a real anchor to take on as a rental. Like you don't, there won't be too many crazy cap gymnastics to get him onto a team. So to me, he just makes sense from so many different angles for the buyer and for the seller. So that's my guy, Chris Kreider. Mm. I think um, another guy... Uh, that that's that's in that sort of boat is Tyler Toffoli in in LA. Except unlike Chris Kreider, he's actually done it. He's done it. He's done True. it twice. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I'm a contending team and I'm looking for a, a, a winger who can play up and down the lineup, can do all sorts of different things, just does what the coach tells him to do sort of thing, uh, Tyler Toffoli would be a great addition, I think. Um, you know, I mean, so, you know, you, you, you pick him up. At the trade deadline, you go into the playoffs and you're down two nothing in the first series, and everybody's losing their stuff. and And Tyler Toffoli goes, "Hey guys, don't worry about it. We were down three nothing to the Sharks. And we came back and beat them and won the cup. So, yeah. like, don't worry about it, guys. So he's got the bin there, done that. Like, there's nothing in the playoffs." That this guy hasn't seen and hasn't done, um, and he's another guy. He's at four nine, four nine, something like that. Yeah, in that range. Yeah, yeah, yeah in yeah. that range, four nine. So um, you know, a pending free free agent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I think he'd be a great pickup. I think yeah, I think he'd be a f- he'd be one of those ones where you go at the end when they win it all, you go. 
Yeah, that guy was very, very key to yeah, all of this. I you know, uh, one qualifier I forgot for Chris Kreider. He does have an eleven-team no-trade list uh, in his in his clause. But I, I'm I always brush off no-trade clauses. He'll, he'd wave it to go to a contender if he knows he's not staying. Sure, Kevin so. Hayes waved it to go to Winnipeg, no, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So, anyways, um, on the same tip of sort of sneaky guys for playoff success. I, I'm going to go with Jean-Gabriel Pajot with the Ottawa Senators. And the only proviso here is maybe the Senators just want to re-sign him yeah. because he would yeah. be a great guy moving forward as they rebuild. Having said that, because of his speed, because of his penalty-killing acumen, because he can give you secondary offense, and his ticket's not too big either, I think it's in the $3 million range, to me he would be the perfect kind of deadline guy, or even a bit before that, because... Ottawa gets a decent return, but because of that cap hit, you're not eliminating as many contenders because by the time you get to that point in the season, everything's prorated, so yeah. it's not that yeah. tough to swallow. And again, like maybe Pajot's on your third line, but he's not a typical third liner. Mm-hmm. And the energy, the speed he brings, you know, he can get your goals shorthanded. Big he, ones too, big ones. Big ones too. Yeah. It just feels like he could be a very valuable contributor to a team that, you know, has a nice top six, but maybe doesn't have the depth that they want. I think Pajot could really give a team excellent depth. Yeah, I love that pick, especially because, you know, even if you feel like Pajot has just played so well that he should be part of Ottawa's future, he's almost played too well now, where <laughs> I think if you're Pierre Dorian, you have to be like, ah, stop winning his games. Uh, he's, his value's gone up too much. Like, I can't not cash this chip in right. at this point, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. You, like, now at this point, like, what could you get for Pajot? Could you get a second round pick? Definitely. Could you get a first round pick from a desperate team? Maybe not, but if you keep scoring goals at this rate by the trade deadline, you never know. And no one ever would have thought that about Pajot for his trade value even a year ago. Yeah, the only thing is, is is I think if you want to re-sign him, you still go with that mindset because it's like, we got we need someone to show the way here. You it's know? true. I, I think Ottawa has, what, 117 picks in the next two right. years? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. 43 first-rounders in the next two years. Like, yeah. I mean, they've got tons of picks. And, and, and sooner or later, you got to tell your fan base, you know, it's not all about just these assets that we're building up and and may or may not turn out. We've got a guy here who is from here, played his junior hockey here, loves it here, has been a great guy in the community, you know, it has has a track record for us. I think I I still think that you, you know, you want to re-sign this guy. Mm. I still think that. But I think but you just taught me a bunch of Peugeot facts in the span of five seconds. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Gatineau Olympics. Yeah, there mm-hmm. you go. So thanks, Kenny. Hey, no trouble. Anytime, thanks, pal. Thanks, And <laughs> thank you for listening or watching, everybody. That's it for the podcast this week. We will be back later. And don't forget, Ryan Kennedy's got a prospect podcast coming, I believe, later this week. Sort of. Sort of? Steven? Got, Super special live. surprise. So he's got something, something, something prospect right. Ryan Kennedy. It's happening. <laughs> it's not live. Okay, yeah. so you'll get some Ryan Kennedy content. Okay? Thank you for listening, everybody.